Section 15 of Chapters on Evolution by Andrew Wilson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 6 The Evidence from the Tails, Limbs, and Lungs of Animals. Part 2 Of the very lowest fishes, it must firstly be remarked, we possess no traces or record in a fossil state. These Democrats of the fish class are represented by the existing lancelet a tiny fish about an inch and a half long with a soft and perfectly transparent body and by the lampreys and hagfishes the latter found boring their way into the bodies of cod and other fishes by means of a single large tooth borne on the palate the lancelet lampreys and hagfishes possess no hard parts which could have been preserved in a fossil condition yet from all considerations regarding their lowness of structure we are forced to conclude that these fishes possess an immense antiquity and probably represent the primitive founders of the entire fish class the first rocks in which the fossil remains of fishes occur are the upper silurian strata these first traces at once of fish and vertebrate life consist of the fin spines etc of fishes evidently allied to our existing sharks fishes which possess as we have seen the primitive type of the unequal tail throughout the succeeding ages of the paleozoic period a period including in its later epochs the old red sandstone coal and permian formations the type of fish tail remains practically unaltered and presents us with the unequal form nowhere is the unequal tail more typically seen than in the famous fishes of the old red sandstone which clad in a stout shield-like armor of ganoid scales like our living bony pike lepidosteus and sturgeon must have presented well-nigh impregnable fronts to their adversaries as owen remarks the preponderance of heterocircle unequal tailed fishes in the seas of the geological epochs of our planet is very remarkable the prolongation of the superior lobe or upper half characterizes every fossil fish of the strata anterior to and including the magnesian limestone permian rocks the homocircle even-tailed fishes first appeared above that formation and gradually predominate until as in the present period the heterocircle unequal-tailed bony fishes are almost limited to a single ganoid genus lepidosteus not until we pass far into the mesozoic rocks and arrive at the chalk do we meet with fossil representatives of the familiar fishes such as our herring salmon cod etc which swarm in the seas of today and which as we have seen possess apparently equal tail fins after the beginning of the mesozoic period we discover that the ganoid and other unequal tailed fishes begin to decline in numbers many groups becoming wholly extinct whilst only a comparatively few representatives of these early fishes remain in our seas of today to represent like the last of the mohicans their plentiful development in the oceans of the past the geological evidence then reads very strongly in favor of the evolutionist's views concerning the great antiquity of the unequal tailed fishes we may see theoretically the first beginnings of the fish tail paralleled by the first of the modern flounder and by the permanent condition of the living lancelet and lampreys presenting us with a symmetrical end to the body but with no very characteristic or definite tail next in order in point of time come the ganoid fishes and the representatives of the sharks skates and rays 
with tails of the truly unequal conformation, the spine bending upwards into the upper half of the tail, an era in the development of the fish group represented by the second stage of the flounder, when the extremity of the backbone is seen to undergo a similar alteration in growth. Ultimately we attain in the chalk to the modern order of things, and find therein the first appearances of fish tails of the modern and equal type, a confirmation which, as we have seen, really retains, under the guise of an outward symmetry, the evidence of its connection with the unequal tail of long ago. Thus perfectly does the geological evidence harmonize with that of development, in showing us how modification and evolution have represented the laws of fish production. It is only needful, by way of close to such a history, to remark that the laws of evolution and of the production of fishes through descent and modification follow in their uncompromising application alike to higher and lower life, the boasted impartiality of the legal codes of man. The laws of life, like those of matter, indeed, are absolutely inflexible throughout, and the story of a fish tail and its development finds the closest parallel in that chronicle through which evolution traces the production and growth of the entire scheme of nature. From the nature and development of the tails of fishes and of other animals we may pass, by an easy transition, to the subject of limbs and their modifications. In this latter study we may perchance discover facts and inferences of no less interest than those evolved in our investigation into the history of fishes' tails. The limbs of animals appear before us as outjutting portions or special outgrowths of the trunk or body proper. That there are limbs and limbs is a very evident fact to anyone who considers the wide variations which exist between the similarly named parts in an insect or a centipede, a fish, a bird, a whale, a dog, and a man. And even within the limited compass of our own frames, there would appear at first sight to be an essential difference betwixt the arm and leg, and an equally great distinction between the forelimbs or wings of a bird or bat and the hind limbs of these animals. A fish, too, might popularly be supposed to want limbs, but as the sequel will show, most fishes possess very distinct representatives of the bodily appendages seen in higher animals and associated with the movements of the frame. Leaving the limbs of invertebrate animals out of sight for the nonce, we may find that, despite the apparent dissimilarity of form and functions, the limbs of vertebrates present an identity of structure which is literally amazing. A very slight examination of the limbs of a horse would convince us that, roughly regarded, the parts or segments of the forelimb correspond to those of the hind limb. There usually exists a degree of correspondence between fore and hind limbs which is easily observed, but which, on the other hand, in such animals as bats and birds, appears less easy of detection. But, laying aside external appearances as thoroughly unreliable, let us appeal once again to comparative anatomy, and inquire, firstly, into the likenesses and differences between limbs, and, secondly, into the nature and manner of origin of these important appendages. In the arm of man we find an upper arm bone, two bones in the forearm, eight bones in the wrist, five in the palm of the hand, and three in each of the fingers, save the thumb, which is composed of but two bones. Thus it would seem that in the arm of man there are some three chief segments, namely upper arm, forearm, and hand, 
and in the lower limb the same elementary divisions corresponding to thigh leg and foot may be discerned man has five fingers which reckoning from the thumb side we may number one two three four and five respectively the great toe being similarly the first digit of the foot in the wing or arm of the bat a type of structure exactly similar to that seen in man's arm is readily perceived the upper arm forearm with one of its bones somewhat degraded in size the wrist the palm and the fingers are fully represented in the bat but the four fingers are greatly elongated to support the fold of skin forming the flying membrane and the thumb is of small size no doubt can exist therefore that the arm or forelimb of man is exactly similar to that in structure or in other words is homologous with the arm or forelimb of the bat in the paddle of the whale shortened and modified as that limb may be we perceive a type of structure exactly corresponding with that of man and the bat the upper arm forearm wrist palm and fingers being readily seen when the skeleton of the paddle is even cursorily examined of the wing of the bird despite the modification of its wrist and fingers the same opinion in favor of exact agreement with the human bat and whale type must be expressed upper arm and forearm are duly represented in the wing and although but two wrist bones two united second and third fingers and a rudimentary thumb exist there can be but one opinion as to the agreement of bird and man in respect to the identity of their forelimbs in the horse whilst the limb itself down to and including the wrist exactly resembles in all essential details the limbs already considered we find the fingers reduced to one the third rudiments of the second and fourth fingers however also exist and prove to us the essential similarity of the one-fingered hand of the horse with the five-fingered hands of its higher and lower neighbors if we investigate the limbs of reptiles and those of the frogs and their kind we should detect a like agreement in fundamental structure with the limbs of man and his nearest allies the upper arm forearm wrist palm and fingers being duly represented the fishes as the lowest members of the vertebrate group would however present us with grave difficulties in the way of reconciling the structure of their limbs with that of higher animals fishes possess two sets of fins these consist of the first set or paired fins the pectorals or breast fins and ventrals the second set forming the unpaired fins is placed in the middle line of the body that is on the back and on the belly of the fish whilst the tail fin also belongs to the unpaired series it is evident that the paired fins must represent the limbs of other vertebrates such limbs being invariably developed in pairs the breast fins of the fish are in reality its arms whilst the ventral fins represent its lower or hinder limbs comparative anatomists are not agreed as to the exact or detailed correspondence of fish limbs with those of other vertebrates but that such a correspondence exists no one may doubt since were any other proof wanting the naturalist might point to the fact that the representatives of the limb girdles shoulder bones and haunch bones of higher animals are developed in fishes for the support of their paired fins the limbs of fishes in short belong to a very primitive type of limb which from its early origin and special development in relation to the surroundings of fishes exhibits but little correspondence with limbs of later forms but we may thus discover the important fact that the limbs of vertebrate animals are modeled on a common plan 
and the task of discovering how such identity may be explained forms a legitimate subject of further inquiry a primary remark of some importance in investigations like the present would insist on our recognizing that a series of deep-seated likenesses in internal structure such as that presented to our notice in the limbs is much more likely to be truly accounted for by some natural law of development than by any mere chance production or by any spontaneous resemblance existing apart from natural affinity if we assume for a moment the position of a holder of the special creation theory we may form some idea of the difficulties which beset the reasonable imagination in accounting for likenesses of such well-marked character as the limbs of vertebrates exhibit in each case we should require to postulate a new and special creative act which had according to no known or conceivable law modeled these appendages on one and the same type a system of creation given to the preservation of useless rudiments of once useful structures instead of simply giving to each animal the exact organs and parts it requires true such a method of creation may be conceivable but nothing more if we reflect once again upon the extraordinary likeness and on the evident common relationship of the limbs but this creative theory entirely loses caste and status when placed in contrast with the more reasonable theory of descent by means of this latter explanation we account for limb likeness on the principle of natural inheritance and on the relationship through descent of the animals which bear the related limbs we thus see in limb likeness merely the natural result of descent from a common ancestor or ancestors in which the fundamental limb type was developed the law of likeness whereby the offspring tend to resemble the parent in fact demands common limb likeness as the natural heritage of all vertebrate animals and presents the theory of descent as the only natural solution of the query why are limbs modeled on one and the same type as darwin himself remarks what can be more curious than that the hand of a man formed for grasping that of a mole for digging the leg of the horse the paddle of the porpoise and the wing of the bat should all be constructed on the same pattern and should include similar bones in the same relative positions how curious it is to give a subordinate though striking instance that the hind feet of the kangaroo which are so well fitted for bounding over the open plains those of the climbing leaf-eating koala equally fitted for grasping the branches of trees those of the ground-dwelling insect or root-eating bandicoots and those of some other australian marsupials should all be constructed on the same extraordinary type namely with the bones of the second and third digits extremely slender and enveloped within the same skin so that they appear like a single toe furnished with two claws notwithstanding this similarity of pattern it is obvious that the hind feet of these several animals are used for as widely different purposes as it is possible to conceive the case is rendered all the more striking by the american opossums which follow nearly the same habits of life as some of their australian relatives having feet constructed on the ordinary plan professor flower from whom these statements are taken remarks in conclusion we may call this conformity to type without getting much nearer to an explanation of the phenomenon and then he adds but is it not powerfully suggestive of true relationship of inheritance from a common ancestor to say that things were simply created so 
after a creative plan may be a confession of faith it is in no sense a scientific explanation with which the mind may grapple so as to arrive at its true significance but the theory of descent goes still further it also supplies an answer to the obvious question which awaits the naturalist how are the variations seen in the limbs of vertebrates to be accounted for admit that the varied limbs of vertebrates are but so many modifications of a common type and that as such they were derived from their ancestors to what process do they owe their subsequent modification to the varied wants and ways of life of their predecessors the agreement in fundamental structure as we have seen is a result of inheritance to what law of life do we owe the variations in function the limbs exhibit the answer to this query lies in a single word adaptation that is the modification of the primitive type of limb for the special circumstances of each animal's life the essential principle and strength of evolution consists in its ability to show firstly that alteration and modification of an animal's structure take place according to its requirements and as determined by the surroundings of its life and secondly that such variations as are favorable or profitable will be preserved such modifications as would fit a limb for swimming or for flight might take place without any violent or sweeping alteration of the limb type as a whole we know as a fact that the skeletons of some domesticated and artificially bred animals such as the pigeons are liable to alteration and modification of structure without change of the type of bony framework and so with the limbs which as mere appendages are infinitely more susceptible of alteration and adaptation to new ways of life thus is illustrated the principle of natural selection which constitutes the keynote of darwinism and which contends for the preservation of those variations and alterations in structure favorable to the preservation of the animal and its race such favorable variations giving it an advantage in the struggle for existence this principle satisfactorily enough accounts for the modification of limbs to suit the varying habits of life which from time to time were assumed by vertebrate animals as the new races and groups sprang into existence by the modification of the older and more primitive stocks and the presence of the varied scheme of the vertebrate life of today the active bird the crawling serpent the lithe fish the fleet steed the aerial bat and even the erect ruler of the universe himself in this view appears but as a testimony to the operation of a great law of nature which decrees that the newer and stronger shall possess the earth whilst the weak and primitive are at the same time prevented and perhaps wisely from cumbering the ground end of section fifteen chapter six the evidence from tails limbs and lungs of animals part two